0: you are
1: listening to the order Tri- transmissions special episode 25 and now here are Craig and Jeff
2: Welcome to the first part of our season three wrap up episodes. This is here on the Tricorder Transmissions. We are your hosts, Jeff Hewlett
0: and Craig Cohen.
2: And with us is our constantly returning third chair on these episodes, Mr. Chris Ritzer. How's it going, Chris? Doing good. Hello, everybody. Hey, it's good to see you on the show again, Chris. It's been a little while. Yeah, been a bit. Good to be back. Yeah, it's always good to have you, and uh, we also have with us in spirit is uh, Mr. Matt Walski has sent in his uh, comments on each episode and and what his essential votes are, so we'll be reading off some of his input. Thank you, Matt, as always, for for sending in your comments, and I guess we will just jump right in uh, with the first broadcast episode of the third season, and that would be Spock's Brain. Craig, do you have a synopsis for us?
0: Yes, from the NBC press release um, issued on August 16th, 1968. A beautiful woman's ghostly image startles the officers and crew on the bridge of the USS Enterprise. But its disappearance brings the discovery that Mr. Spock's brain has been removed with surgical uh, perfection in the premiere episode of Star Trek, beginning its third season of Colorcast on the NBC television network.
2: Very cool synopsis. And our essential votes... Our, uh, our split on this one. Craig, you voted essential and you said it was because of your famous cocktail party rule. Uh, the worst episode of the series must be seen. And you also cited some character moments for Kirk Spock and McCoy. I voted non-essential. My reasoning was uh, no new alien races. Uh, character moments were nothing new. And the social commentary of the episode itself was really uh, not enough to throw it over the edge for me. So, Do you have any uh, follow-up on your vote, Craig?
0: Yeah, this is the time where you're going to change your vote to Essential, right?
2: No, I don't think so.
0: (laughs) I I I got to say, overall, I don't really have anything to add in terms of my feelings on this episode. Um, But I will speak a little to the third season in general and sort of what I appreciate about the third season now that we're done with it. And arguably... Um, or not arguably, it is the worst of the three seasons. But I think the thing that I like about the third season is how unique it is. And having the option to watch some episodes that are a little different than you'd expect from Star Trek, I think, is is what makes this series special. And And the original series wouldn't be the original series without season three.
2: I agree with that. It's a a very good way of looking at it. And I think for me, I I, I always look at the third season with that age old uh, rule of mine that no matter how bad the episodes may be, it's it's really nice to spend time with the characters that you love. So even if the scripts aren't as good or the production value is not as good, uh, you know, it's always cool to see Kirk, Spock and McCoy and the rest of the crew on an adventure. So Chris Ritzer, how do you fall on Spock's brain? I'm really torn on this one. It's
1: while it's considered like the worst episode, I guess you could almost give an essential vote for that. But I'm gonna have to go non-essential on this one. I mean, it's it's not it's not as bad as a lot of people think. It's I think it's actually halfway decent. And it's kind of fun. I think more than anything, but eh, not essential. It's there's bigger cocktail episodes out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with
2: that. I, I agree with your. And they're inter- coming too,
1: so <laughs> they are coming.
2: I agree with you that it's not as bad uh, as people say. I definitely don't think Spock's brain is the worst episode of the entire series.
0: What do you think, Craig? No, and and we've talked about this a little bit. I cannot call any episode of Star Trek the worst of the series if it doesn't bore me. And Spock's brain, like Chris said, it's not a boring episode. I'm more offended by boring Star Trek episodes than bad Star Trek episodes. Ah,
2: makes total sense to me. So uh, Matt Walski, he has a quite a a long write up here. I'm going to skim through it for everybody. And he feels that Spock's brain is essential. Uh, He cites the cocktail party rules uh, that you said. And uh, general reviews, this is often quoted as the worst episode of Star Trek, although he doesn't feel that it is. Uh, Gene L. Coon, in his opinion, was the finest writer on Star Trek, and he wrote this one under the pseudonym, of course, and a lighthearted jab at the studio. So he he likes that. Um, he can go on about the problems, you know, Spock not losing his hair, of course, and uh, being able to talk to McCoy while he's having the brain operation. You know, there there's a lot of stuff. Uh, the zombie Spock being remote controlled around, uh, continuity problems. So there, there's a lot of issues, but um, he says there's also plenty to recommend. Show looks gorgeous uh, despite the slash budgets. You see Kirk interacting in front of the active view screen again, rare shot. Uh, planet sets background uh, underground chamber sets, gorgeous looking women in miniskirts, and the immortal brain and brain. What is brain line? So uh, supporting cast all get something to do. So and it's also been spoofed uh, in in other uh, television shows like The Wonder Years. So fantastic. So the great input from Matt. So that's uh, two essentials. One from Craig, one from Matt, and two non-essential. So we're still bitterly divided on this one.
0: Yeah, and I gotta say, Matt, thank you for those for those comments. And I want to hear the Matt Walski Star Trek podcast.
2: Yeah, we got we gotta coach him through getting his <laughs> Skype working because he's he's been having issues with that for
0: a year now. I would love to listen to him riff on Star Trek. I, that's a podcast I would listen to every week.
2: Yeah, me too, Matt. Matt, consider that a challenge. We need the Matt Walski uh, TOS podcast. All right. So next up is the Enterprise incident, and on that episode we had one of our favorite guests, Vernon Wilmer, uh, guest starring. So if you uh, if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. Vernon's got some really cool stuff to say. And Craig Cohen. Do you have our synopsis?
0: Yes. The NBC press release reads: Captain Kirk disguises himself as a Vulcan Romulan in an attempt to free the USS Enterprise, which is being held cap- captive while Mr. Spock is prisoner to the charms of a female Romulan commander on NBC Television Network's Star Trek In Color, Friday, September 27th.
2: So this was pretty much, in my opinion, a no-brainer essential episode. We both voted essential on this one. Uh, A whole litany of reasons why uh, we both shared most of them. Spock's 18-year history in Starfleet gives us a little timestamp on Spock's career. Romulan and Klingon sharing ship designs, the Vulcan sexual ritual, which we see in the future, Uh, Spock's character moments, uh, playing the romantic angle on the Romulan commander and some Scotty character moments. So uh, anything to add to that, Craig?
0: It is definitely a, a boss of an episode that really would stand with or would fit in at the peak of the series, wherever you consider that peak to be.
2: Well said. Chris, what do you think?
1: That just about sums it up perfectly uh, with both. You guys said it's definitely essential and it's one of my favorites of the third season. It's a great episode and yet yeah, it's you can put it up against just about any of the good episodes in the first two seasons.
2: That's a good point. I didn't even think about stacking it up against uh, episodes from the first two seasons. And I think it's safe to say that whenever the Romulans show up, it's going to be essential. So always great to see them, and a kind of an underused villain in the original series, I think.
0: Oh, totally. And I, I think one of the main things we should point out about this episode, at least in terms of why it might seem so strong, is it was written by DC Fontana.
2: Ah, yes, good point. Good, good point. And, and Chris, being a an expert on all things Star Trek in general, but having read a lot and seen every episode of every series, you have a, a lot more knowledge about the Romulans post-TOS, so... Very important, uh, their introduction in the original series to the future use of the Romulans, right?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, they keep coming back time and time again, and uh, so it's nice. You have to get into our heads a little bit here and into our culture, and it sets up everything in the future nicely.
2: Yeah, I think they were even part of a a Next Generation uh, season-ending cliffhanger at one point, weren't they?
1: Yes, that's right. I believe... And then I think the first season see either last episode or second to last episode when they come back. Yeah, that was a pretty good episode. And
2: they show up and it's like, hey, guys, just let you know we're back. Yeah. And we'll show up again (laughs) at some point. All right. So Matt Walski has a couple things to say about this. He also feels this is essential. So we've got four essential votes for this. There's no arguments here. Uh, His favorite of the two Romulan shows, Shatner, is wonderful to watch when playing... Uh, Playing mad, the Vulcan death grip is introduced, Oh, it doesn't exist, but people always mention it and confuse it with the nerve pinch. Uh, Klingon cruisers are seen. Uh, Interesting, the Romulans are using Klingon design. We mentioned that as being essential reasoning. Uh, Their alliance has been mentioned tons of times in the books and comics, but not adequately explained on the show. Uh, So it was probably confusing in 68, as he says. Um, he likes to spy espionage story and he thinks it wouldn't, wouldn't have been an out of place story on something like mission impossible. So pretty cool, uh, equation to another show and, uh, the enterprise escapes without firing a shot, which is something I don't think we really talked about. So pretty wow. cool.
0: Yeah. And the mission impossible connection is really, really good, Matt, in the sense that they had a master of disguise on that show. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Very cool connection that uh, I will always make now when I watch that episode.
2: Oh, Great. So thanks a lot for that, Matt. And with that, we will move on to the Paradise Syndrome. Craig, you're up.
0: All right. From the NBC press release, Captain Kirk is wed on Star Trek. An asteroid hurtles towards the planet on which Captain Kirk has married a beautiful member of a tribe oblivious to their impending doom. In the Star Trek color cast on the NBC television network, Friday, October fourth.
2: All right. So, uh, double essential. Uh, this is this episode is remembered fondly for being a shot outdoors on location. So, you voted it essential because of the Vulcan physiology. Uh, the ship functionality that we're introdu- introduced to, I voted essential because Kirk fathers a child, which is a relatively significant life event. Uh, the preservers as a race are kind of I referred to in a, in a TNG episode called The Chase. Uh, and they are an ancient race of humanoids who are responsible for the origin of the human race. So um, I think a, a lot of things to like about this episode. I know it's it's viewed as kind of silly, uh, the, the whole Kirok Thing, But um, uh, both of us felt that it was essential. And Chris, how do you feel about this episode?
1: Oh, I like this episode a lot. It's a uh, fun episode to watch. But I'm going to go non-essential on this one. Oh, why is that? I, actually, you guys you almost convinced me otherwise. But I just don't think that's quite enough to make it essential. It's, huh. yeah, you get some good moments here and there. But the whole baby thing, that's kind of thrown out the window and never brought up again or nothing like that. It's almost like it never happened and this whole thing like kind of went up in smoke. So I, it's a good episode. It's a lot of fun, but for me, it just, there's not enough there to deem it essential.
0: So hmm. you at least agree, Chris, that it's really fun to say Miramani?
2: Yes. <laughs> Well, you know here's a here's a question. So you know the the you you mentioned that the baby thing is never brought up again. so does it does it say more about Kirk as a character that he never mentioned it again and he internalized it, or would it say more if he did say it again? Talk about it later. No, no
1: it's less to do with that and more just I think it was done for shock value, and I think it was just lazy writing
2: hmm. okay, understood. Understood. Uh, Matt Walski votes this episode essential. Kirk setting up a new life away from the ship, gets married, uh, has an unborn child, and uh, location shots he mentions are, are gorgeous. And uh, the idea of an a- asteroid deflector is nice. He likes that idea that there's a there's an apparatus on the planet that can deflect uh, incoming asteroids. So if he, he says if he was more cynical, he would have problems with the American Indian setting, but he feels that it was explained away. Nicely. And also, uh, cite some Spock and McCoy moments, which we didn't really talk about in our essential voting, but there were some really good, uh, Spock and McCoy, uh, moments on the ship as they were discussing, you know, what, what the priority should be, you know, going back to get Kirk versus saving the planet from the asteroid and, uh, you know, Spock wasting time on this and that and the other thing. So, uh, good, good call there, Matt. I, I should, we should have mentioned that in our essential votes. So, uh, do yeah. Either one of you guys have anything to follow up with?
0: No, I, I do know that you you mentioned it earlier in our discussion here. But any episode where they're out on a uh, at a practical location, especially one that's outside, is just so great to see. I mean, it really opens up the scope of this show, and especially in season three when their budget was so limited, to 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 have those on location shoots really adds a lot to the the look of the show.
2: I agree. I really enjoy watching this one for those outdoor shots as well. It kind of throws me back to the old Vasquez rock sets that we used to see in prior episodes. But always nice to see the crew on an actual outside set and not a an indoor mocked up outdoor set. So let's see. Next up is the infamous and the children shall lead featuring uh, Melvin Belli. So uh, how about that
0: synopsis, Craig? Oh, do I have to? <laughs>
2: uh, Yeah, for the sake of the
0: format, yeah. Um, NBC press release issued September 10th, 1968. Children appearing unconcerned at the death of their parents are beamed aboard the USS Enterprise and begin taking over the minds of the crew as Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy attempt to battle an unseen force on NBC TV's Star Trek episode and the children shall lead Friday, October 11th.
2: Yep, another... Pretty much no-brainer. It's a, a double non-essential vote. Craig, you said uh, the de- the debut of the United Federation of Planets flag almost tipped it for you. And I said uh, no character moments, no recurring aliens, and no new uh, technology introductions. So any anything to expand on, Craig?
0: Um, reading the synopsis of that episode, I it sounds so darn exciting on paper. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it does, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> but I, I really think that this is an episode when you talk about least favorite episodes of the series. This is one I am not anxious to ever watch again.
2: Hmm. I agree. Uh, it's one of the ones that doesn't make my regular rotation. So, Chris Ritzer, what about you? This
1: is the worst episode of the series. I think it's you know, worse than Miri. And wow. it's this is really, really just bad television. Worse than
2: alternative factor,
1: yes. Whoa, that's that at least alternative factor that's is so card. bad that it's almost good. It just you laugh your ass off at it. This year, it's just I wanted to strangle every single one of those kids. I just I hate the episode. It just it's it's horrible.
2: Wow. Next, right. <laughs> whoa. Chris is moving the show on, but not not before we we read off Matt some of Matt's comments. So Matt also agrees that it's non-essential. So. Uh, looks like that's an, a four-way agreement. Uh, Trek and kids don't often mix well, in his opinion, and uh, he acknowledges that it's voted at the bottom of the list for most viewers, but he still likes the episode because the supporting characters get some good scenes. Uh, he likes the illusions on the view screen and Uhura getting old, the makeup they use. Uh, Chekov gets to hold Kirk at a phaser point, so that he likes that. Uh, Shatner's acting in the cave. Uh, When he has a panic attack, he really likes, uh, but is unintentionally hilarious. He likes how Spock reassures him that he's still in command. And he also likes the scene where Kirk orders Mr. Leslie and he keeps getting things jumbled up. So uh, he actually defends Melvin Belli as as Gorgon a little bit. Um, He feels it's not as bad as people would have you believe. (laughs) I I don't know if I can agree with that.
0: Maybe if you're grading it on like the Ed Wood scale.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good call. So, Sorry, Matt. No, no, it's okay. Hey, this is this is the great thing about Trek is that we can all disagree and and find different things to disagree with, even though we all kind of agree on the episode itself. Uh, it's it's good that you, you know somebody can look and find some good things to say about it. So um, that that about wraps it up for this one. I don't think we need to give this one any more time. So let's move on to: Is there in truth no beauty? Craig Cohen, you are up.
0: All oh, right, the NBC press release, September 17th, 1968. Mr. Spock, after gazing upon a Menduson will die of madness unless Captain Kirk can persuade a woman already jealous of Spock's mental powers to save him by performing a dangerous mind link. on NBC Television Network's Star Trek, Friday, October 18th.
2: So the essential voting on this episode was quite interesting, Craig, because you've changed your vote based on my explanation for my essential vote. So it is a oh, double essential. Awesome. Cool. So I had said that this episode explores a lot about the Vulcan ways and their and their mind powers. And uh, there's a new power introduced where two minds can be joined and act through each other, as well as we learned that a non-Vulcan can be taught to use Vulcan ability. So Vulcans themselves aren't necessarily... Uh, the sources of the power that, that that technique can be taught to other races. So a uh, very interesting uh, explanation of some of the, the background on the Vulcan ways and the Vulcan powers. So uh, Chris Ritzer, how do you feel about this episode and the the fact that Vulcan powers can be taught to humans?
1: I agree with your reasoning uh, essential for this one. Uh, it's yeah, cool to see more Vulcan, superpowers brought up and expanded upon. It's also really cool, too, to see uh, Diana Moldar come back. Yes. Uh, who will eventually play Dr. Plasti in season two of Next Generation.
2: Yes. Uh, Matt Walski actually points that out in his, his uh, synopsis as well. He likes the fact that Diana Moldor is back in this one. He also agrees this is essential. Um, he's got a lot of things in here. He likes the camera angles from the point of view of Marvik and Spock uh, when they go insane. And uh, he likes that Spock gets to emote, so I know he's a big fan of seeing Spock becoming emotional. I think all of us like to see those emotional outbursts from Spock, and um, he likes the scene where Spock gets sad about how lonely uh, human beings are. So uh, shots of the Enterprise in the void are nice, and uh, the mind-meld battle at the end is very nicely shot and edited, and he thinks it's one of the more stylistically, uh, stylishly directed episodes. So... And it also mentions the IDIC for the first time, which uh, that was the piece of merchandise I think that Gene Roddenberry wanted to to market. So I think that was a contentious thing for the actors in the episode, especially Leonard Nimoy. All right, so uh, everybody agrees that uh, this is an essential episode. So any closing thoughts from either the two of you before we move on?
0: No, just um, it's very cool to see that... um we're able to change our opinion on something based on the argument of the other. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that that happens during the course of this discussion. So we'll see. Ah, very good. So it will. Oh,
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, on that note. So next up is specter of the gun, Craig Cohen
0: from TV guide, October 19th, 1968 An eerie punishment awaits the men of the enterprise for violating Malkotian space, they are made to appear as the Clanton Gang in Tombstone, Arizona, on October 26, 1881. If history is correct, they will be met and killed by the Earps and Doc Holliday at the O.K. Corral. Stylized see-through sets and the Lawmen's funeral black costumes heighten the dreamlike aura of this episode.
2: So, double non-essential. Uh, Craig specifically says it does not fall under the cocktail party rule, in his opinion. I said there are, you know, no new aliens, no new tech, and not many memorable character moments that would push it over the edge. Uh, We both agreed that we liked the stylization of the episode; it definitely makes it special, but wasn't enough to push it over the essential edge for either one of us. So, Chris Ritzer, where do you fall on Specter of the Gun? Not essential. Okay, that was easy. Uh, Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. There's nothing new happening here. It's actually kind of like a regurgitated storyline to where the Enterprise crew is being tested to see how moral they are by a superior race. It's It's been done before. And
0: and it will be done again.
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: So, yeah, uh, non-essential.
2: Well, guess what, guys? Matt Walski disagrees with all three of us and calls sure. this episode essential uh, and also adds to that that it is easily... In his top five episodes. Wow. Yeah, that's a shocker, huh? So he goes on to say that he loves Westerns anyway, so he was never going to have anything less than 100% affection for this episode. He loves the stylization of the sparse buildings in the Wild West town, uh, and he loves the red backdrop, so it makes it very eerie. Uh, Probably wouldn't have been half as effective if it had been filmed on a proper Western back lot. You know that's a that's a really good point. The episode probably wouldn't have come off the same way if they had actually filmed it uh, in a, in a real proper backlot or even on a location somewhere. So that's a good point, Matt. Thanks for pointing that one out. Uh, he likes the fact that the Erps are really eerie and soulless, and uh, are, are almost like phantoms throughout the episode, which is true. They do give them kind of a phantom-like or ghost-like uh, feeling, the way they act and the way they just kind of appear um rex holman who plays morgan earp comes back nearly 20 years later in star trek 5 as the bald guy that Cybok member uh mesmerizes at the start which that's a good point too i think we mentioned that during the show and he loves the mind meld scenes at the end in the gunfight so that was one of the things that to me was one of the standout moments of this episode was where spock could use the mind meld to make the, the other uh, Enterprise crew members not afraid. I like the fact that he could implant that in their minds and affect their behavior without actually having the direct mind melt on them the entire time. So that's kind of a cool little expose there. You know, what Do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't even think about that. But uh, yeah,
1: it's not enough to make it essential, I don't think.
0: Hmm. Well, you also wonder if that was just a power that was created as a, a way to... As a plot convenience. True. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> True. I mean, many of them probably were, but yeah. Great observation, though. Kind of a fun thing. And of course, it is a, a very different episode. Uh, like uh, like the empath it's a very different episode in the way that it's filmed, in the way that it was set up. So, you know, that makes it worth watching, even though it is a non-essential episode. So, All right. So next up is the Day of the Dove, Craig Cohen.
0: All right. The NBC press release issued on October 2nd, 1968. Mysterious hatred runs rampant aboard the USS Enterprise as Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy battle Klingons led by Kang on the NBC television network, Star Trek, Friday, November 1st.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a whole slew of things that make this episode essential. Uh, It was a double essential, of course. And the, the list of reasons reads, the first and only female Klingon in the in original series. Uh, first use of intra ship beaming. The size of the crew complement of a Klingon ship is stated to be 440 members. Uh, Enterprise officers' quarters are located on deck six of the ship. Uh, manual control area on the Enterprise and the Jeffries tube are, are put into play here. The Klingons have a portable torture device, and of course, the introduction of the iconic. Kang character. Chris, I know you're a big fan of Kang.
1: Oh yes. Michael Ansara is an awesome Klingon. And I was very happy when he came back in uh Deep Space Nine with uh Kor and Koloth. Uh yeah, this this is a really fun episode. Yeah, definitely essential. And yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you get to see a Klingon, yeah, a female Klingon for the first time. And uh, the only negative I think is the whole uh conclusion to the story i
2: knew you were gonna go there
1: (laughs) with the whole uh laugh attack but otherwise (laughs) it's 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 a cool episode yeah and klingons are always fun Hmm.
2: so yeah this this is the first and maybe the only time they use ridicule as a weapon on star trek (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh, craig cohen any other thoughts on day of the dove before we move on to matt's comments
0: no actually i think um chris and, and yourself um and your notes covered it pretty well.
2: All right. So no brainer, of course, Matt calls this episode essential as well. A lot of the same reasons. Uh, Klingons and humans make a truce. So that's pretty cool to make uh, to get out of a situation which shows that they can overcome their differences. And he felt that's a very important message for Star Trek to send out. And uh, he also agrees with Chris that Michael and Sarah is an awesome Klingon. Uh, let's see. So they have their... They, he also points out that they have their kind of... Uh, oily look back after season two, where they look more normal. There's plenty of great sword fighting at the end, uh, pretty cool. And he, you get to see Sulu in a Jeffries tube, so that's pretty cool. And that's, uh, that's, that's, there's a lot of other uh, little, little things here, but, um, he brings up some, some, uh, parallels to other episodes, like, um, the, the, the evil cloud, uh, the, is a, the cousin of the regek alien from, um, wolf in the fold that kind of feeds off the negative emotions and, and a uh, redjack feet, feed off of, uh, of fear and controlled people and, and manipulated them into doing his bidding. So it's kind of a similar alien. So pretty cool wrap up from Matt. Uh, any thoughts on Matt's comments, you guys?
0: Uh, Matt always um, provides great, well thought out, detailed, insightful comments. So uh, Matt, um, they are appreciated.
2: All right. Are we ready to move on to the next episode? Yes. All right. So next up is For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky.
0: All right. From the NBC press release, a hollow world in reality, a spaceship camouflaged as an asteroid hurdles towards disaster as Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock helplessly watch a dying Dr. McCoy submit to electronic enslavement on NBC Television Network, Star Trek, Friday, November 8th.
2: All right, and this was a double non-essential from both Craig and I, and uh, I think we felt that the the McCoy-heavy episode uh, didn't really have enough uh, to put it over the top. I, I, I'm not sure there weren't any new aliens, really, that recurred. Later on, uh, no, no, really no new tech to speak of here. So, um, you know, Chris, do you have any uh, any information that you think would make this episode essential for us? Nah, uh,
1: I agree. Not essential. It's sort of, I guess, just a new take on the whole supercomputer kind of story. I mean, it's an all right episode, but there's nothing to make it essential at all.
2: OK, Craig, any any interest in changing your vote on this one?
0: No interest in changing my vote, but this is another episode where I think the press release did a better job um, than the episode did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Good point. So once again, Matt disagrees with us, calls this episode essential. Uh, He says essential from a McCoy standpoint. He said it's McCoy's turn to get married, and he has some lovely scenes with Kirk and Spock. Uh, The relationship between the big three is incredibly tight in this episode, as it is in The Empath. Uh, McCoy getting cured and leaving the at the end is predictable and problematic of a 50-minute one-off story. So the ending's a bit anticlimactic for him. But if you want vintage DeForest Kelly, then this is his show. So Interesting comments from Matt. Any reflections on that from you two?
0: Yeah. No, no. Matt
2: so. wraps it up nicely. Okay. All right. So we are going to move on to what I think is going to be a one of the more contentious discussions of this episode, and that is the Tholian Web. Craig Cohen.
0: All right, from the NBC press release issued on October 21st, 1968, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy attempt to locate Captain Kirk's body, which fades in and out of view in space while the Enterprise is gradually engulfed in a trap in the Tholian Web on NBC Television Network's Star Trek color cast of Friday, November 15th.
2: All right, I voted essential on this episode so the introduction of the tholians who show up in every series with the exception of voyager and this episode the tholian web also serves as a prequel for an enterprise story arc later on in in the that involves the mirror universe in the enterprise series and very controversially mr craig cohen voted non-essential on this one
0: yeah i'm shocked at myself looking at that vote um I'm not sure what my reasoning was. Um, It might have been, and um without having gone back and listened to the episode or looking at my notes, I think I might have not considered the Tholians that important, considering that this is really uh, original series focused, and they don't pop up in that universe again in terms of they don't pop up mm-hmm. in the movies. But thinking back now, this is one that I think I might have to change my vote on, just because it's such... An important episode at least in keeping season three or at least in the case that it's one of season three's strongest episodes so i don't know i i think i'm gonna change my vote to essential
2: Oh, excellent. Glad to I'm glad you did that before we gave Chris Ritzer his chance to talk. Because I think he was waiting to jump down your throat on this one.
1: Craig, that's what I wanted to hear. Thank no, you. I'm glad. I'm
0: glad I was able to help you
1: out there. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely an essential episode. Uh yeah, yeah, brand new alien uh race uh who they pop back up in Enterprise. Uh and it's yeah, they're for just the original series, they're, even though they only popped up once, a lot like the Gorn, they're pretty much considered a classic villain.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, this is a cool episode. You get to see uh, – <laughs> I like when uh, they think Kirk is dead and they get his last order uh, log <laughs> and uh, he tells them to both, yeah, I'm sure you're uh, arguing all that yada yada and – then they mess with him at the end, like, oh, yeah, we never read any of that. We never got to it. And he's kind of like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah,
2: the Kirk mind mind game they play. It's great. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah this is a really uh, good episode. And uh,
2: yes, essential. All right. Well, Mr. Matt Walski agrees with us. Amazing effects, an ensemble episode. Tholines and their web are excellently realized. Kirk is absent for most of the show, which is extremely rare. Space suits make their debut and are a huge improvement over the orange shower curtains from The Naked Time. I agree with that. Uh, McCoy and Spock have great moments again. You get to see Kirk's final message and orders, which is touching. And, of course, something you will never see again. So Escape from the Web is a bit anticlimactic for him. But overall, he feels it's a very strong show. Excellent comments from Matt. So any, any reflections on those from you guys?
0: No, again, good job, Matt.
2: Sounds good. All right. So we will move on from the Tholian web to the following episode, Plato's Stepchildren. This is a big one. Craig.
0: NBC press release dated October 28th, 1968. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy respond to a distress call on Platonius and become slaves to the will of the inhabitants in Plato's Stepchildren on NBC television network Star Trek Friday, November 22nd.
2: So we have a split vote on this episode, with Craig falling on the essential side, uh, citing the famous cocktail party rule. And uh, I guess we we all really know why that is. It's that that first interracial kiss on television. So that's a a huge historic moment. And I went non-essential for this episode. Uh, I did give it an honorable mention uh, tag for the historical aspect. But I didn't feel that um, there was enough in the show to tip it over and make it essential watching as far as the the trek universe is concerned so there's nothing new revealed on the show no new aliens that recur uh no new technology uh it was just the the cultural aspect of this episode uh that that really had the 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 punch so chris uh what are your thoughts on the essential nature of plato's stepchildren
1: this is what I'm really split on. Uh, yeah, you have the cultural significance, but the episode itself I don't think is very good. I don't care for it at all, really. And uh, I guess yeah, non-essential on this one.
2: Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So Matt Wolski also calls this non-essential. Uh, he really struggles with this one. There are parts that he really likes, uh, with such as any scene with Alexander. So the, the Alexander exactly. was very good in this episode. Michael
0: Dunn, yeah. Yeah. A a great, one of the great Star Trek performances.
2: Spectacular. I I agree. And uh, he likes where Kirk is telling them that where he comes from, there's no worry about race, color, size. That's a great expose on on the future of Earth. Uh, The interracial kiss is important, but their lips touch in the loosest sense of the word, but uh, it's hardly a smacker. Uh, Things that are cringery, Spock singing and Kirk acting like a horse. So on paper... Uh, it's a Blish adaptation. It reads very well, but I don't think it's executed very well. So at least he says, one cool scene of Spock and depression having been overloaded with emotions. That was a pretty cool scene. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I think Matt hit on something that we sort of have probably danced around a little bit in our coverage this season and even alluded to during this discussion when we said, uh, you know, some of the press releases re- read better than the episode. And And I think a lot of these episodes... If they had hit, you know, the desk on season one or season two and had gotten a couple of more passes and possibly, you know, some rewrites from, you know, some of the more experienced writers on the staff that you would have gotten a much better final product.
2: That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I I think that you're 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 really on to something because there's uh, if you look at the way a lot of these episodes were written in the third season, they they, they weren't given the care uh, and, and the rewrites necessarily that the episodes in the first two seasons were. So I, 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 we will always wonder, I guess, what some of these episodes could have been had they been given that, that treatment that they were given in the first two seasons. Chris, what do you think about that?
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah, this is definitely one of those episodes that uh, could have used another pass or two with a writer actually a lot of third season episodes are like that they definitely could have been tightened up but that is what it is
0: yeah i think that's really probably the the strongest indication that you know or the the this you know the the biggest thing that was lost when when gene Kuhn left the show and was and was replaced by uh, fred freiberger um is you know You really see what Gene L. Coon brought to this, Mm. you know, brought to the table. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't
1: even think about
0: that. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely.
2: So moving on, the next episode up is Wink of an Eye.
0: From the NBC press release, Captain Kirk discovers that the Enterprise and its crew are captives of a dying people who move with the speed of light and intend to use the crewmen to help. Repopulate their planet, Scalos, in Wink of an Eye on NBC Television Network, Star Trek, Friday, November
2: 29th. All right. Double non-essential from Craig and I on this one. Uh, the Scalosians, although cool, do not uh, recur at all. Once They're kind of a one and done. Um, no new technology really to speak of. Some, some cool scientific work by Spock and McCoy. Uh, to to change, figure out how to change speeds and, and catch up to Kirk and help Kirk get back. That's kind of cool, but wasn't enough uh, to put it over the edge uh, of Essential. Craig, any interest in, in changing your voter perspective on this?
0: No, but this is an episode, uh, again, that I think the concept of this episode is really, really cool. And I'm not sure that any additional workshopping of this script would make it an Essential episode or even a better episode. But I mean, when Star Trek is able to play or or the fact that Star Trek was able to play with such high concept ideas um, like the ones we see in Wink of an Eye, um, that's what really makes the series special for me.
2: I, I, I agree with that. It was, that. It's a really fun episode to watch. I, I find it really enjoyable that you know, it kind of puts the premise out there that there can be people who move so quickly that we can't see them. And, and they can affect our lives and change things around, uh, you know, in our reality. So it's almost a different plane of existence, but it actually really is the same plane of existence. Chris, what, what do you think about Wink of an Eye?
1: It's not essential, but it's pretty much quintessential Star Trek. I mean, this is a really good just Star Trek story. And it's a lot of fun, like Craig was saying. It's a cool episode. It's yeah, not essential, but... It's definitely one I like to watch.
2: All right. Matt Walski calls this an essential episode, uh, says he hated it the first time he saw it, but over the years, he's come to love it. Uh, lots of problems with the science, uh, particularly the continuity, but the interplay between Kirk and Dela makes it entertaining. So strongly implied that Kirk has sex in this episode. You see him uh, retiring to his cabin and then he's putting on his boots. I think Craig has cited this as evidence that Kirk has had sex uh, in an episode, although I we, we've had this argument uh, for a while now that I, I say that there's only evidence of Kirk actually having sex one time, and that's when he fathered the child. The other times could have just been make out sessions that we don't necessarily know. That kid's sure. never born, though, right? No, he's never born, but she's pregnant. So, I mean, obviously he did, he had sex eh, with her. she? Was messing she? Around. she was getting <laughs> with
1: the other medicine guy or whatever. Uh, I, so you're digging. I think there was a little bit of side action going on there. Yeah, uh, you're digging. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're digging. Uh, so, <laughs> oh man. So uh, nothing ground shattering, but uh, it'll find affection with certain Trek fans depending on their disposition. Uh, but it's okay by Matt. So, uh, so Matt disagrees with all of us. And, and calls this essential. Uh, are, are his reasons enough to sway any of you?
0: I don't think so. They're commendable, but um, I, I, they don't change my my vote.
2: Hey, Chris, you? No,
1: I'm sticking with non-essential. Yeah, it's, a, it's a really cool episode, yeah, but it's no, I'm not, I can't hit the yes button on this one.
2: All right, so close the chapter on that one, and moving on to the final episode that we're going to discuss on this first part of our season three wrap up. And that would be the empath, Craig Cohen.
0: Aliens decree death for Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy in a bizarre experiment in which humans are used as guinea pigs in the empath on NBC television star, uh, network, Star Trek, Friday, December 6th.
2: You know, I, I felt really bad giving <laughs> this episode, a non-essential vote. And that was because Mark Cushman really seems to like this episode a lot. Yeah. I felt like I let him down by giving this a non-essential.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you uh, there, Jeff. But I, I still stand by my vote. I think as a work of art, the episode is very, very uh, successful. Um, it's moving at points. Um, it does everything um, a work of art should do. But that doesn't mean that it's esten- essential uh, in terms of what we set out to do with this series.
2: I agree, and that's why I I had to go non-essential. The Vions don't recur again in any any Star Trek series or episodes anywhere. Uh, the, the funny thing they, they do get mentioned again uh, in turnabout intruder uh, later on, which is which is cool. Uh, n- no new tech, um, character moments there's a few, but nothing that we haven't seen before or won't see again. So uh, by our criteria of what would make an episode essential, this one doesn't make the cut chris how do you feel about the empath uh
1: non-essential uh pretty much for all the reasons craig stated uh yeah i think it looks nice but i'm not that's not gonna deem it essential hmm. and the story too it's i this is one of those movie, uh episodes i really have to be in the mood to watch till sometimes when it comes if i'm doing a run through it's like oh boy other times I can get through it, but it just really doesn't do much for
2: me. Hmm. So Matt disagrees once again. Matt calls this episode essential. Uh, he understands why people have problems with it. He says, I myself don't know why the Vions have to put the big three through such torture to see uh, that if Gem's people are worth saving. Uh, at the end of the story, they hint that uh, they will rescue Jem's planet. But does this mean uh, the other one they're considering saving is now doomed? So, uh, it's, it's a shame for those poor people. Uh, what sets this episode apart is the relationship between the big three and the way they compete to sacrifice themselves for each other. That's a really good point. Uh, I love the scene where Jem senses the love in Spock. I also love the scene where Kirk is running toward the Vions and they slow him down. Apparently this was DeForest Kelly's favorite episode. So that there is one really good note in there. And, uh, that was uh, the big 3 characters, Kirk, Spock and McCoy competing to sacrifice themselves for each other, I think. That's a really good uh thing to focus on because a lot of people will cite the the trinity of characters as one of the strongest parts of the original series. What do you guys think about that?
0: Very very great point there by Matt.
2: Hmm. Chris, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally
1: forgot about that part. Uh, that's yeah, probably my favorite part of the episode, too. That was well done. And, uh, yeah, I agree.
2: And, of course, stylistically, uh, this episode is very unique. Uh, it's like a stage show put on film. And uh, I, I, this is one of those episodes that reading about it in Mark Cushman's These Are the Voyages book kind of opened my eyes and made me appreciate the episode more uh, from, a, from a stylistic and a production Standpoint. So uh, another one of those things we highly recommend Mark's books for if you're a, a Star Trek fan. You know, you can't go wrong picking those books up. You'll learn so much about these episodes and it will probably help to change your mind about some of the ones you thought were really bad. Uh, you guys agree with that, right, Craig? Oh, yeah, definitely. So that about wraps it up for the first half of our season three wrap up. Either of you guys have any thoughts uh, on the, the first half of the third season? Anything to, to lead us out?
0: I, I got to say that I was surprised that some of these episodes um, fell in the third season because they really felt like we talked about them a long time ago. And I guess, you know, um, with 24 episodes in the season, you know, 24 23 22 20 weeks ago. Um, is a long time I guess in the in the you know in the grand scheme of our show but but still I was surpri- surprised in this first half that we had some really strong episodes that as we talked about you know would fit nicely in with the you know the best of the series.
2: Hmm. Chris any any final thoughts on the first half of season 3?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty decent first half. I mean, you have one big Bomb with and the children shall lead, but other than that, it's it's pretty solid. I mean, it's not the first or set or first or second season, but it's still pretty good.
2: All right, excellent thoughts from both of you. So we will be back next Sunday with the conclusion to our season three wrap up. So so tune in, and if you have any comments that you wish to share on anything from Ilan uh, of Troyus through Turnabout Intruder. Feel free to let us know on our Facebook page. We'll be more than happy to include your comments uh, in that episode, uh, like we do for Matt's. And uh, thank a big another big thank you to Matt for sending this great detailed email here with with your uh, perspectives on all of these episodes. It's really nice to have a, a a fourth person weighing in on some of these and giving us different perspectives. So so catch up with us next Sunday on the Tricorder transmissions. Meanwhile, you can catch up with us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions on Twitter at TTT underscore pod or our website, the Tricorder dot Yeah, and
0: Jeff, I think we, oh. we have another, at least another three minutes we can talk. Sure. <laughs> I know we didn't get to do a proper uh, intro this week, but I think it's worth mentioning that as we're recording this episode, a really interesting Kickstarter project has launched that i think a lot of people that listen to our show will probably be interested in and that is the um adam nimoy documentary for Mm -hmm. the love of spock
2: yes i did see that
0: a documentary about leonard um his dad and it's over on kickstarter and i gotta say that they have some really interesting rewards um especially if you've got some deep pockets um they are really uh, clearing things out of the uh, Nimoy archives hmm. to, um, to get this, this documentary funded. Uh, things that involve um, autographs from cast members that are no longer with us, that are from Leonard's personal uh, collection. And also at the $15 level, it's really interesting. It's called the Enterprise Travel Log. And it says, in addition to our exclusive updates throughout our mission together we'll send you a one of a kind digital PDF bundle of Spock collectibles including historic magazine articles, home photography and rare interviews with Leonard and the Nimoy family. Wow. That sounds like a tremendous little bundle that you would get there and that is something that I am very interested in.
2: Very cool. Very cool. So we'll track the progress of this Kickstarter.
0: Yeah, uh, it's called the next few episodes. Yeah, it's called For the Love of Spock and there's a really good write up by Adam you know, spelling out what they need the money for. And I think any good Kickstarter project really tells you what they plan to do with the money. And it doesn't seem like this is being done for any other reason than to really honor um, Leonard Nimoy.
2: Excellent. Sounds really, really cool. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and we'll follow the progress through our next few episodes as the Kickstarter progresses. I I think this is one of those ones that's going to get funded very easily.
0: Yeah, I mean, right now they've—I think they—they've only been up for a day. Um, they've already got almost 800 backers and are almost at fifty-five thousand dollars. So what's the total? Uh, Six hundred thousand.
2: Oh, okay, so, so that's pretty t- good progress.
0: Yeah, they got 27 days to go, and and uh, word will continue to spread. But I mean, William Shatner tweeted this, and I'm sure it won't be the last time he tweets it.
2: Agreed. So, and I'm sure this is going to be getting picked up by a lot of the different Trek blogs and fan sites and other podcasts too. So, I would expect this thing to get funded pretty quickly. Yeah. So, all right. So, we'll see you guys next week, right? Yep. Yes. Chris Ritzer. All right. Excellent. So, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next Sunday.